You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Good morning, church. Good morning, Stonegate. Well, my name is David Gambo, and um, I am from Nigeria. I'm one of the uh, church planting residents here at Stonegate. Um, I came here from Nigeria six years ago for theological training, and I'm still at the seminary. And uh, the Lord brought me here for training, and I just want to thank God for Pastor Rodney and the leadership at Stonegate. I just want to thank God for the opportunity they have given me to groom me, to uh, prune me, and to polish me for the work that the Lord has and has called me to do in Nigeria. Lord willing, when I'm done with my training, I intend to go back to Nigeria to do church planting. And I just want to thank my church family. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to stand here today to share the gospel. Amen? Today I'll be speaking on a topic I titled, Vision for Soul Winning. Vision for Soul Winning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 24 to 27, the passage that was just read. Now imagine a young boy by, by the name Johnny. Now, Johnny was a good boy. This young boy had loving parents, and his parents loved him so much that they enrolled him to take music lessons. And so he would go to school. And in the afternoon, when he gets back from school, he has to stay in the living room practicing his music lessons. And he looks out of the window and sees his friends playing baseball and having fun. But he is not allowed to join in the fun. And so this is what we call discipline without direction. But supposing one day, as he was sitting reluctantly in the living room, an angel appeared. And the angel of the Lord took this young boy in a vision to Kennedy Hall in New York. There he sat in a huge auditorium. And the auditorium was full to capacity. And as he was sitting there, he saw a guitar virtuoso on stage performing in a concert. Now, this virtuoso was playing country music. Johnny was not a fan of country music. However, because of what he saw, he was captivated. And so he looked carefully. He saw how the fingers of this musician was just strumming and just dancing graciously and uh, with fluidity and grace on the guitar. He was able to listen attentively and he saw and heard how the blend of sweet scintillating music, just rendition coming up from this musician. Unknown to him, he turned. And when he turned to one side and he was just trying to listen, to take in all he can get from this musician. Unknown to him, his foot started tapping the floor. And he was captivated. And the musician was just phenomenal. The angel asked him, what do you think? And he said, wow. So the angel took him back to his living room. 
And the angel said to him, did you know that that musician you saw is actually you in some few years from now? But then he turned to him and said, look at the guitar. You got to practice. And the angel went, vanished. This young boy grabbed his guitar, started playing his guitar, was not minding his buddies playing outside. They were enjoying having fun. Didn't bother him because he saw a vision of the future. The Bible says, without vision, my people perish. Vision is very important. And the Christian race of soul winning needs vision. And so what I'm going to do today is to cast a vision of soul winning. Cast a vision of soul winning. And so when we turn to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, we see the apostle Paul casting a vision of soul winning. So in chapter 9, he's talking about Christian liberty. What does it mean for a Christian to be free? What does it mean for a Christian to live as a free person? And so Paul here from verses 1 to verses 18 started talking about how he forfeited his rights and privileges for the sake of the gospel. For example, he forfeited his right for marriage. He forfeited his right to receive financial support from the church in Corinth. Now, he did this for the sake of the gospel. Paul had a collusion with Jesus on the road to Damascus that changed his life forever. And that gave him a new vision. That gave him a new curse to live. So in verses 19 to 23, we see the obsession of Paul towards soul winning. Look what he says in verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So you see from this very verse that Paul became so obsessed with the passion and the race of soul winning. And so how was that possible? How did he get that vision? How did he come about with that obsession? And of course, they were asking that question. And so Paul pulls back the curtains. He rolls it back and there he casted a vision about soul winning. So from verse 24 to 26, the passage that was just wonderfully read before us here. We have four verses in the English translations, but these four verses are actually three verses or three sentences in the Greek New Testament. And these three sentences can be taken as three questions. Question number one, what is the race of soul winning? Question number two, what are the requirements of soul winning. Question number three, what is the reward of soul winning? 
So now let's take them one after the other and kind of like flesh them out. Question one, what is the race of soul winning? Look at verse 24. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but one, only one receives the prize? Paul begins with a rhetorical question. And this rhetorical question, do you not know, it implies yes. He's calling their attention to discern the purpose, to discern the vision of soul winning. Do you not know that there is a race? What is this concept of a race? Paul is pulling from uh, the Isthmian Games, which is something like the Olympics, our time equivalents. So these games ha happen every three years close to current. And so Paul was pulling, pulling this uh, imagery of an athlete and bringing it to cast his vision. And Paul used that same metaphor of an athlete. He used it ten times in five of his epistles out of the 13 letters that we have of Paul today. In any time Paul used that word of an athlete, he's always using it in the context of soul winning or the label for the gospel. For example, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 16, Paul says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not labored in vain, nor run in vain. Running in vain, laboring in vain. Same concept, soul winning. So whenever this word is used by Paul, he's describing it or defining it in terms of soul winning. And so we see in this passage that what we have in front of us here, the race is the race of soul winning. And there's something unique about this race that we need to know. There's some unique things. For example, only citizens can participate in this race. The Isthmian Games, only citizens, only Roman citizens can participate in these games. In the same way, the Christian race, the Christian race for soul winning, you got to be a born again believer to participate in this race. If you're not born again, you cannot reach out to win souls. So this is the race, the race of born again Christians bent on a mission to win the lost. There's another thing that is very unique about this race, the distance to be covered. Just like every other race, there is a distance to be covered. In this race, ours is a race of soul winning. And I don't know how long you're going to spend the rest of your life. Yours may be 40 years, mine may be 30 years. I don't know. God determines the distance and he is to be praised forever and ever and ever and ever. Glory to God. Amen? And so we see that there is a distance. But there's another thing that makes this race unique. It is the competitive nature of this race. This race is very competitive. The athletes then were competing among themselves. But here, ours is different. We don't need to compete with one another. No. Rather, we complement one another for the gospel. 
Rather, we motivate one another for the gospel. That's our race. We're competing with no one because we're here to go out together to win souls for Jesus. So he says, so run. It's an imperative. It's a command. And it's the only imperative in this text. So run. Look up. See? I just commanded you. Commands are not meant to be heard. Commands are meant to be obeyed. So Paul is saying, run the race of soul winning. Amen? We are called. All Christians are called to run this race. It is the race for souls. It is the race for the salvation of men. Did you know that when you got born again, you were not the one seeking Jesus. He came after you. He found you. He picked you. He picked me. He washed me. He cleansed me. He sanctified me. He justified me. But that's not the reason for me to just live for myself. So I am saved so that I can point others to Jesus. God saves you so that you can point others to know the master. That's Christianity. When you got born again, God would have just translated you to heaven. Right? But he said no. Why? So that you will be the light. So that you will be the salt. You found your salvation. I found my salvation by the grace of God. Let's help point others to Jesus. Amen? And so that is the, what we see here, a vision. A vision, a clear vision. Paul was stating this vision is the vision of soul winning. I read a story of General Booth, the great founder of the Salvation Army. General Booth, uh, some months before his death, he was invited. He was invited by King Edward VII. Now, Edward VII invited him to the palace to sign in an autograph album for the king. And so General Booth signed and said, Your Majesty, he wrote, Your Majesty, some man's ambition is art. Some man's ambition is fame. Some man's ambition is gold. But my ambition is the souls of men. Is that your ambition? Is that your passion? Is that your desire? Surely that's not my desire. I don't wake up every morning thinking about souls. That's not me. That is not me. The Lord has been convicting me recently of my affection. Where is my affection for souls? Where is it? Where is your first love? When you got born again, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You are on fire. Where is that first love? So we see in this text a vision. For Paul, his love, the gospel changed him. The gospel pushed him. And he says in Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, And that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and rose again. Are you living for the master? 
Are you living for Jesus? Am I living for Jesus? I don't know if any of you wakes up in the morning thinking about, God, would you send someone to cross path so that I share the gospel? I don't know if you do that every morning. I don't do that. For me, if I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm thinking of going to the library to just bury myself in the books there. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have dedication or to be committed to a cause. No, but I'm just saying, do you desire that on, the, on the, your pathway to whatever vocation the Lord has called you, do you desire to cross path, the Lord bringing people your way to share the gospel? Is that your passion? So we see what the race is. Now, question number two, what are the requirements of the race? What are the requirements. Three requirements we see in this passage. Three requirements. By the way, uh, don't bother about the accent. I know some of you are wrestling with that. Don't, don't bother about it. You know, I preached, I preached um, a denial for my friend uh, in April. I preached that. And that first night, the denial went well. And a, a lady came to me and said, David, uh, you said in your sermon that there are two types of reindeers. Two types of reindeers? She said, yes. And, uh, and she just, I just lost her. And I was like, well, tell me what are they? She was like, well, that's why I'm asking you. I'm like, well, I don't know. And, um, well, I, I was like, well, just meet, meet some of your colleagues and compare notes. The next day in the morning, she met me. Oh, David, I know what you said. I said, what did I say? You said, oh, there are two types of surrender. Well, surrender and reindeer, how? <laughs> how? You know, that's one of the difficulties some of us face, I mean, having to speak English as our thought language. So sometimes you have to bear with us. So if you, listen, if you miss anything, don't bother about it. Just let go. What you need, the Holy Spirit is going to impress in your heart. What you don't need, he does not. <laughs> Amen? So let's get back to the text now. So he says, purposefulness. The first requirement is purposefulness. Look at verse 26. He says in verse 26, so I do not run endlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Purposefulness. Again, Paul is pulling from that games, the Ismian games. He pulled two metaphors. The first metaphor is the metaphor of an athlete. The second metaphor is the metaphor of a boxer. Either way, they're talking of one thing, purposefulness. Paul is saying, I'm not running for nothing. I'm not boxing for nothing. I am running with a purpose. I am boxing with an intention. I am going for that. I am trying to get my target. Boxing is not my sport. I don't like boxing. But I've heard so many things about Floyd Mayweather. And that built my desire for boxing, to just get to know who is this guy. A lot of people have said a lot of things about Mayweather. So I wanted to know more about him. By the way, I'm not endorsing his character. So for the records, straight. So I started watching Mayweather. 
And it's so fascinating to see the way this guy fights. Mayweather is very focused. He does not waste his punches. But when he punch, he hardly misses his target. In fact, he has been compared with uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, the boxer of all time. You know Muhammad Ali, the boxer that floss like a butterfly and stings like a bee? Paul is saying, I'm like Ali, I float like a butterfly, but I stink like a bee. He's saying, shoot for the target. He's saying, take the bull by the horn. That's what he's saying. Purposefulness. That's what Paul is calling here. The second requirement, the discipline of grace. Discipline of grace. Look at verse 27. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let me just clarify here. There's a de- definition of discipline that is actually different from what we know scripturally. For example, the word discipleship comes from the word discipline. Kent Hughes says, no, disip- no discipline, no discipleship. No sweat, no sainthood. There is no two ways about it. And so the concept of discipline, whenever that word comes, uh, when someone mentions discipline, whether in the church or in the world, people begin to freak out. People begin to become terrified because discipline, I don't like it. I don't like going to the gym to walk out. It's painful. And so that word, but that word is actually a beautiful word. The concept is actually beautiful. The definition of the word discipline, again, sometimes it can be misconstrued with legalism. But discipline is different from legalism. Legalism is man-centered. Discipline is God-centered. So the issue of motivation is what differentiates So here, when we talk of discipline, the disciplines of grace, we're not talking of something that is bad. In fact, the word used here that Paul says, he says, I discipline my body. That's what he says. He disciplines his body. It comes from the Greek word, hupo pezao. Now, hupo pezao adds color. It simply means to wear out your body. It simply means to inflict pain on your body. But it is used more when two people are engaged in a fist fight that one hits his opponent on the face and it leaves a blue-black mark under the eye. Or leaves a black eye and they say, Hupo pezao. Paul is using the same concept here. He's saying, I break my body. I Discipline my flesh. That's the point. Well, why is he saying this? He's saying less when he preaches the gospel, he should not be disqualified. Now, Paul is not talking about being disqualified from the uh, uh, salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the race. This is what the race of soul winning. And so he's saying he, it's possible that if he does not discipline his body, he is going to what? 
miss out. He is going to be disqualified. Again, he pulls from that same games. He pulled one imagery of the herald. And the herald is the one that announces the games. He announces the rules of the games. He calls people into the game. So imagine you calling people into the game, telling them the rules of the game, and then you go and break the rules. Paul says, if you do that, you will be disqualified. And he says, I fear being disqualified. After calling you into the race of soul winning, then for me not to deprive myself of my rights for liberty, for me not to deprive myself of my right of financial support from you, if I hold to my rights and privileges, chances are that I might jeopardize my ministry there. And so Paul, the, the main point he's trying to say here is the gospel will cost us something. The gospel will cost us something. I mean, think about it. Today we're going to, we just prayed for Alison Dooley. She's going to Guatemala to serve. I mean, she's going to sacrifice a lot. She wants to go and serve. Only the gospel can can motivate someone and give the passion for someone to go and do what she's about to do. Clap for her in Jesus' name, please. She's sacrificing friends, family, fun, comfort, and all of that to reach out to men with the gospel. The gospel is going to cost us something. The gospel is going to cost you to have to maybe just turn off the TV and go and say hi to that neighbor of yours that you've never said hello to him. The gospel is going to cost you to do that. But you're doing that because you're trying to reach out to him to share your faith, to see if he would repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. So the point that Paul is saying here is that the gospel is going to cost us something. Therefore, we need to discipline ourselves. I need to discipline myself. But this discipline is not just any kind of discipline. It's a discipline of grace. Without grace, the discipline cannot and will not be effective. Look at what he says in verse 26 and 27. He uses the pronoun I, I, I. In fact, the word here, the adverb so in the ESV or if you have other translations, it says, therefore, the conjunction, therefore, or the adverb, so. It's just for English, kind of like easy flow. But that's not how it is presented in the original Greek. I think the King James Version got it right here. The first word in this sentence is I. It's I, not so, not therefore. It's I, therefore. And Paul fronted that for the sake of emphasis. That's what Paul did. I, therefore, for the sake of emphasis, he's trying to emphasize something. He's saying, I discipline my body. I break my body. I do this. I do that. Well, who talks like that? Think of it. I discipline myself. I'm a great person. I am just awesome. I am just wonderful. I am just great. I mean, who talks like that? Whoa, this guy, you're just full of yourself, right? But here's the point. They know, the Corinthians know what he means by this. When he says I, he's not talking of I by my willpower. He's talking about I by the grace of God. 
Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse, the same book, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I walked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God. See, it was the grace of God that was able to empower him to do these disciplines. You and I cannot discipline ourselves to self-control. You and I cannot discipline ourselves to, uh, to uh, delay for, towards delayed gratification. We will not, and we cannot, because we love ourselves. We are prone to desire things, our cravings, our self-desire, self-seeking, self-assertion, and all of these, I have that desire, you have those desires as well. But it takes the grace of God. And Paul is saying it is by the grace of God. The grace of God that came upon him. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation to all men had appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live soberly and righteously in this world. It's the grace of God that is able to help you to say no to fun when you should be having, uh, enjoying having fun. It's the grace of God that will help you to not to play when you should be praying. It's the grace of God. I mean, and these fun and food and other um, things that we have to, I mean, set aside, some of them are not bad by themselves. But he's just talking here about delayed gratification. And so grace, uh, what are the means of grace? I mean, I'll just give two means of grace. One is studying the word. You want to receive grace to discipline yourself so that you can be effective and soul winning. You need grace. And that grace is what through studying the word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 verse 32, I commend you to the word of God, which is able to build you. He says, I give you an inheritance. I commend you to the word of God and to the power of his grace. The word of grace. Grace is able to build. Grace is able to give us an inheritance. Grace is able to empower. That's what we need. Go back to the word. As you study one chapter, one grace. Two chapters, two graces. Three chapters, three graces. I mean, you get, what, you get a point? I'm just, I mean, it doesn't happen that way though, but I'm just saying that you grow in the word. As you grow in the word, Peter says, grow in the grace. As you grow studying and reading the word and meditating on the word, you're growing in grace. Another means of grace is prayer. Prayer. You want grace? You got to be a person of prayer. That's a means of grace. Think about it. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night he was going to be, cruci- I mean, to be arrested, what happened? His heart was heavy. He called his disciples. He said, let's go and pray. He took them to get some money. He said, you guys pray here while I go over there to pray. He came back and saw them sleeping. He said, please guys, pray for me. You guys pray for yourself lest you fall into temptation. He went back and he was crying and weeping and saying, God, I need grace. I see the cross. The cross is gruesome. The, cr- the, the cross is deadly. The cross is painful. God, I need grace. And the Bible says an angel strengthened him. See, but prayer. As we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in the word, we're getting grace. 
grace, 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 grace. And we're able to discipline and do all these disciplines. We're able to what? Surrender our desires. We're able to deny ourselves what would, uh, the things that we love so much. We're able to deny it because of the disciplines of grace. The thought requirement, the dependence on the Spirit, the dependence on the Spirit. Again, this is implied. Paul says in the previous verses, the previous chapter, Paul, chapter 2, Paul talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 4, verse 20, he says, I, I, the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that he says, I demonstrated before you. What I've done before you is not something that I have done by my own power, but the power that came as a result of what? The Holy Spirit. So every born-again believer has received the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God lives in you. He lives in me. The Spirit of God is here to empower us so that we can keep the spiritual disciplines. So we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. But today, do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Today, do we seek the Holy Spirit for guidance? I mean, think about it. Jesus, who himself is God, the Bible says he had to depend on the Holy Spirit. Peter says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. Jesus could not do good without the Holy Ghost. He needed the power of the Holy Ghost so that he can function and serve the kingdom. If you're going to be effective in soul winning, if I'm going to be effective in soul winning, I need the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus told his disciples, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And they waited patiently. When the day of Pentecost came, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended. It was liquid fire. We're crying for revival. We need fire. What we need today in America, I mean, it's not a new philosophy. What we need is not a new method. What we need is not a new model. What we need, we need born again, evangelical, Holy Ghost, filled men and women going through the streets and preaching the gospel with power in the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. You have the Holy Spirit in you, but are you depending on him? Am I depending on him? I don't think I depend on the Holy Spirit myself. I want it done my way. It's going to be my sermon. That's, that's me. That's me. I'm going to arrange it this way. That's me. I just don't want the Holy Spirit in my life because when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to take over. He's not here to follow you. He's not here to obey you. He comes to take over. And when he comes and says, hey, I want the sermon to be done this way, you have no right to say, have it. But I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Amen? So we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to control your life. My life, I have grieved the Holy Spirit in so many ways. In fact, walking on this sermon, I wanted it my own way. The Holy Spirit said, if you want it your own way, take it and go. I'm not going to bless it. Go with it. You want it to be done your own format, take it your own way. I would not bless it. 
And he, I wrestled with him. The spirit wrestled with me. And I was like, God, he said, do you want me to bless this salmon? I said, yes. He said, let go of control. So I struggle with that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I guess the same. Three requirements. Purposefulness. The disciplines of grace. And the dependence on the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book, The Disciplines of Grace. In that book, I love the analogy he used. He used an analogy of an aircraft. He said an aircraft cannot fly on one wing. It needs two wings to fly. And so for the aircraft to fly, on the one hand, you need the disciplines of grace. On the other hand, you need the disciplines, the dependence on the Holy Spirit and into glory. That's what happened in the book of Acts. They depended on grace. They depended on the Holy Spirit. And what happened? One day, Peter preached a sermon. 3,000 people repented of their sins. The next day, 5,000. The next day, multitudes that no number could even count. Within the first century, the disciples turned the world upside down. They marveled the philosophical colossus of their time. Discipline of grace. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's what we need today. That's the revival we need. Thank you, band, for singing that wonderful song. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin Jones, thank you. G uh, Jimmy and all the band, members of band, thank you. You set my spirit ablaze already. Just hearing that song, my spirit went on fire. We need fire. We're going to be effective soul winners. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. We need the grace of the word. Grow in grace. Grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Question number three. What is the reward? So we've seen the first question that deals with what is the race of soul winning? We've seen the second question that deals with what are the requirements of soul winning? Now, the last question what is the reward of soul winning? Look at verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. We an imperishable. Some of you thought, oh, why did he skip this verse? I actually left it out so that we can understand the, the, the vision of grace. It is grace and dependence on the Holy Spirit that we need, not reward. Reward should not motivate us. The grace of God, the grace of God. When I was lost, he came looking for me. When I was blind, he gave me sight. The grace, the grace. It's grace that saved you. It's grace that saved me. You did nothing for it. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. This is not of your sub, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest a man should boast. I cannot boast in anything today. It's sheer grace, unmerited favor. The grace of God. The grace of God. Jesus Christ, the grace giver. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. What is the reward? 
That's why I left that verse out. But now let's focus on the reward of a soul winner. He says, they would receive an imperishable wreath. Now think of it, in the Isthmian Games, what happens? The athletes, they compete in this race for a wreath. And actually the wreath is actually an olive wreath. And sometimes it is made out of vegetation. And of course, if it's made out of vegetation, it dries and uh, gradually decays or disintegrates. Oh, sometimes it's made out of gold or silver, but even that, it would devaluate itself with time. But yet, they are disciplined. They are going for a price. And the athletes are very aware that even if they win this gold, even if they win this wreath, even if they win this treasured or coveted possession, chances are armed robbers and thieves might come after them. It happened in the Olympics. Right? Come on, talk to me. It happened. See? Getting a prize and you're aware that thieves might come after you and yet you're still disciplined. Yes. And they know that they're dealing with judges or they're dealing with officials that can be bribed. Think about it. Some of the Olympic games we watched and you're surprised that this guy won the game and you're like, really? I thought he should be the one, the loser, right? How many of you watched the Olympics? Am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> it, it seems to me like you guys are... Very spiritual, studying the word of God. Man, you're always praying. You don't even have time for leisure. I'm the bad guy here just watching Olympics and all of that. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I mean? Some of the winners, you're like, this guy, how? Probably. I mean, you're dealing with human judges here. That's the, that's the point. But you see, with all of these, or if all these facts are true, and yet these people are disciplined, it calls us to sober reflection. They are disciplined for a price that they know is perishable. But we believers, we children of God, sons and daughters of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the king, we are not as disciplined as they are. Why? And we have a better reward, and we have a better price. Our price does not decay. No thief or robber can break into heaven. Heaven is a safe place. And the judge cannot be bribed. The credibility of the judge is not calling question here. The credibility of the judge. God is a faithful God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6 that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's a faithful God. He is. He does not lie. He has promised and he's going to keep to his promise. He has said it and he's going to do it. He's God. He's faithful. And he lives forever. He's a faithful God. A, a young boy came back from Sunday school one day. He was taught the attributes of God. And he was taught that God is a faithful God. And so he came back and met his father. He said, Father, Father, I know the difference between you as my father and God as my father. You as my father, you don't keep all your promises, but God as my father, he keeps all his promises. Can you shout amen? amen. I came here to cast a vision, a vision of soul winning. God has promised. 
He has, the Bible says all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen. God has promised. He has promised that if we turn men to righteousness, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3, that and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, but they that turn men to righteousness, they will shine like stars forever. I came here to tell you, my brother. I came here to tell you, my sister. It doesn't matter. You may not win a gold medal in this world. You may not win a silver medal in this world. You may not win a bronze medal in this world. But if you turn men to righteousness, if you turn men from darkness to light, if you turn men from the power of sin to the glorious liberty of God, uh, uh, to the kingdom of God, a day is coming when the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he will embrace you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. This is a vision. This is a vision. A vision of soul winning. I pray that God will stir up my heart. I pray that the Lord will stir up your heart. What are you living for? Are you living for a cause? Are you living for the gospel? Are you living for yourself? Paul says, to me to live is Christ. To die, it's again. Brothers and sisters, I came here to say one thing. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I came here to say something. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus said, I must do the works of he that sends me while it is day. Night cometh when no man can walk. Paul says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We need to wake up every day with a vision, a vision of soul winning, a vision of souls heading to hell. And no one is there. The Bible says, let him know that he that converted a sinner from his sins shall save a soul from death and shall hide multitude of sins. Men are perishing. We need to go out with this vision. We need to go out with this vision to reach out to men in the world. I just thank God for what we're doing here at Stonegate. We're moving with the gospel, planting roots everywhere. We're going to plant roots in Midlothian with the gospel. We're going to plant root in Cedar Hill with the gospel. Allison is going to plant root for us there in Guatemala. And by the grace of God, we keep on planting roots everywhere we go. The gospel has to go. We have to spread the gospel. And we can do it only by the vision of the cross and the grace of God. Where do we go from here now? The vision of the cross. We need to have the vision of the cross. At the cross, we see a savior. A savior that came and left heaven. He left his glory. He left his galaxy. He left his splendor. He left his comfort zone to seek the lost sheep. At the cross, we see the cost that it cost God. At the cross, we see the beauty, the dignity of man, that who is man that I am mindful of? Oh, that God would come seeking us at the cross. If you and I have that vision of the cross, we will go out for souls. 
Or maybe you're here and you're not born again. And you want to enroll in this race of a soul winner. The first step, if you're not born again, you're not in this race. But if you look at the cross, there you see your Savior hanging there. And the Bible says there is a fountain filled with blood. It's the blood of Emmanuel, the gracious, precious Son of God. That blood has the power to set you free. That blood has the power to deliver you and enrolled you into this race of soul winning. If you are a believer, still need to look at the cross for the grace of God, for the power of God to remain purposeful, to be able to count the cost and deny yourself gratification for the future glory. Pray with me. What are you living for? What are you living for? Is your ambition gold? Is your ambition silver? Oh, the souls of men. Eternity is going to be different because we went with the gospel. If you're here and you've not professed faith in Christ, you can do that today. There is a card under the chair. You can pick up that card and establish a relationship with God. But if you're here as a believer and your affections are not there, you are numb, you are cold, just like me, it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to look back to the cross. There are men there standing there at the prayer table. You, some of us will have to go over and pray with them. Just go there. They're there to join faith with you. The Bible says where two or three agree in my name, they're standing there to agree with you. You want a revival in your spirit? Some of us would have to go there and meet them there to join faith. Or you can sit wherever you are and then ask the Lord to walk in your heart. Whatever that, whatever that the Spirit is putting in your hand, in your life, in your heart right now, I ask you to respond. And so God, I just pray that you give us a desire for the gospel, that you give us eyes to see, that you open our ears to hear, that you give us passion for the lost, that you open our eyes to see the dying world without a savior, that they would be able to embrace salvation and repent of their sins. God, I just pray that you walk in my heart as well. Stir up my affections again. I work in my spirit, oh God. Help us, oh God, as a church, to be people living with a vision, a vision for souls. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.